Pushing Back Chaos with Mel and Mike and Raph. Welcome back to another episode of Pushing Back Chaos with me, Paul Mellon McFadden, over in the sunny Middle East. Uh, we've got our usual two idiots, Mike and Raph. How are you, fellas? I'll let the I'll let the bigger idiot answer first. Go go ahead, Mike. <laughs> oh yeah, that's me. <laughs> uh, it's a good little Sunday morning uh, here on the East Coast, and uh, it's been a great weekend. If I'm being honest, there's uh, my girlfriend. And I just got back from church. So we had to push 30, 30 minutes to the right because honestly, I didn't want to miss it. And it's been really good just to be going the last couple of weeks and making it part of uh, our routine and then having some good conversations off of it. So it's been really nice. And uh, actually, the weekend kind of started off pretty well because, uh, well, it was a good week of training. But then Friday, we had a two-mile ocean swim. And it was kind of like the black cloud hanging over the end of the week. Like nobody wanted to talk about it and everybody knew that it was just going to be this kicking the nuts. And, you know, it was, Hey, what's it? Are you ready for tomorrow? What's happening tomorrow? You know, like everybody was just like, you know, the, the demon child, nobody want to talk about, but uh, it was actually really good, man. And I, I texted Melon and Raph before it. And I was like, yeah, here we go, dude, we're getting in. And I, and they're like, what's the water temp? And I was like, ah, water temp is 44 degrees and the air temp was 30. And it was just about to start sprinkling some snowflakes and I uh, wore my five mil wetsuit and got out there. And any, no matter what you wear, man, as soon as you jump in, you get this ice cold jet of water down your back and it's just... Ugh, just misery but uh it was about well, i don't know what 75 minutes to put out and uh honestly man i i got out and i just felt so focused and honestly i stood there on the beach i was waiting for some of my other guys to get out and like you know fist bump them and hell yeah and you know kind of a good feeling when something hard's done right it's always a good feeling once you're done with something and uh, I was just sitting there kind of watching the uh, sun come up because it was like 7 a.m. And uh, I just kind of got into a state of like gratefulness, to be honest with you. Like when I was younger and I was doing those swims and all that hard stuff, it was like, oh, man, this is going to be for so long. I ain't got to worry about it. It just sucks and living in the moment. But now it's just like, dude, I'm on the end. I'm on the tail end of my career. I don't know how many more of these I'm going to do. And I know for damn sure I'm going to miss it one day. And also, too, it was just kind of like realizing where I was at in that moment, what I was doing and who I was doing it with was really special. And as soon as I finished up, I sent this picture. I was just like frozen, you know, to Raph and Melon, just this shock face. And uh, they're like, dude, you know, how was it? This, that, whatever. And I just told them, honestly, guys, I was just kind of grateful for it, you know, to to be able to even do it. You know, and it was just a good feeling, man. It kicked off the, a really good weekend. It's been a really nice weekend. Been spending over here with my girlfriend and having good conversations and going to church. And um, I don't know, not bad for February, dude. <laughs> it could be a lot worse. Just for the people listening in the Southern Hemisphere, it might be like 40, 40 degrees. That sounds beautiful. It's 40 Fahrenheit, 7 Celsius. And I think he was saying that it... The air temp was below freezing. So that's a, that's a friggin' man test. Good for you to get through it and come out with such a, um, almost like having had a meditative experience, man, like to be able to come through it and, and think real positive thoughts. That's awesome. 
you definitely so, have the choice of swimming in one direction along a beach for 75 minutes and you're just sitting there like what goes through your damn head for that long besides i'm cold <laughs> right it's it's definitely a battle of will and everything but honestly man i i thought about this episode what we were going to talk about and i was playing stories back in my head i was envisioning finishing i was envisioning what i was going to do after i thought about raf and his stupid hat uh <laughs> like all kinds of random stuff man for 75 minutes you just you just zone out the best you can and try to get you know try to find positives it's a constant battle of will in that cold water and literally you guys helped me through it in some really goofy ass ways, which I won't share, but, uh, yeah. it's, 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 it's what you got to do, man, to get through the heart, you know? Do you, oh, that's a do great, you know, that's a great you know, intro, man. Go ahead. Do, you know, do I know how you want to know how I know you're gay? No, you I don't about really me for 75 minutes. <laughs> it was like 7.5 seconds. Then I was like, I want to move on to something else. I'm depressed. Yeah. So I will give eagle-eyed, you... eagle-eyed viewers will have seen that there's a fourth person here. There's Dash Four, the fourth wingman has joined the formation. Uh, welcome, Brian Smitty Smith. How you going, mate? Good. It's cold here in so, the Kansas City area. So where are you right now, Smitty? You're. In, I'm in. I'm in Saudi. Raf's on. You're, are you on the west coast? Are you at your parents' house, Raf? Yeah, I am. I came in last night. A surprise awesome. visit, but that's that's the what's well, you skipped me, so I'm not going to talk about it now. Go on, Smitty. Yeah. So, just quickly um, say where we are, you know, like I'm in Saudi, Mike's in, in on the east coast, Raf's on the west coast, and Smitty, you in Kansas, Kansas City? Yeah, I'm currently just outside of uh, Leavenworth, Kansas, uh, a few minutes from Kansas City area. Awesome. So, uh, Smitty is a good mate of mine, he's a good mate of Raf's, and he is. Well, he's, he's a really good mate of mine. We we hooked up when Raf was over in Saudi flying with the, the US Army, flying Black Hawks around. And he introduced me to a mate of his just as he was leaving. And Smitty and I just became super close mates as well. Smitty would come out to our house. We'd have barbecues and sit up nighttime playing cards and having a few um, refreshing beverages, shall we say. And then Smitty, Smitty departed the fix back to... US of A, and we had a, he flew out to Australia. We had an unreal um, New Year's Eve, it was very memorable in Sydney. And, and uh, I was lucky enough to, to, to be there when uh, a big moment in his life occurred. And we've just stayed really close mates. We, we caught up uh, last year in uh, New Orleans. Smitty came down and stayed with Cherry's sister and our brother-in-law and yeah, he's just like a, a great mate, and he's now in the enviable position of having transitioned through a career in the military, and now he's in post-military life, um, still flying helicopters and doing what he loves, and really contributing back to the community as a, a an air ambulance slash rescue uh, sort of role. So, welcome aboard, Smitty. How you doing? Thanks. Doing great. It's great to be here. I appreciate you guys having me on. So, Raph, maybe you could let us know how you met Smitty some early stories yeah so it was one of my last well it was second to my last assignment which was in saudi arabia which is where i i met you melon um and it was like you said it was in the last half last one third of my stay in Riyadh, in escon village when smitty showed up and 
You know, Smitty was a unicorn because um, in the Apache world, there's not a lot of what they call maintenance evaluators, maintenance examiners. And he was he was one of the few uh, probably in the army. And like he just kind of randomly showed up. And I remember because they kept talking about like, you know, this, this guy they're trying to bring in because there was a vacancy in your position for how long? Did they ever tell you? It was like, uh, I, I, from what I'm understanding, it's a couple of years, I think. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, like three years or something. It's something crazy, you know, like they can literally fill every position, you know, uh, Blackhawk maintenance guy, you know, at, with spades or whatever. I mean, every, everything. But the Apache ME slot was vacant forever. I mean, it was like the ultimate ninja position. So in comes Smitty and everyone's like, oh, he's going to come and he's going to crush him, blah, 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 blah. No, he was a ninja. He was just like me. We, we were, let's just say we were efficient at what we needed to get done at ESCON. And then we'd be, or, you know, at uh, Milan, And then, you know, we'd be back at ESCON. But anyways, clearly we hit it off because we shared the same, uh, the same room in the offices. Which is to say we saw each other for about three minutes. Uh, and then be like, hey, man, email. Yeah, yeah got to check the email, dude. Um, I know Mike is, is taking notes right now. Don't hate. You, bet, so, you, bet, you better believe I am. <laughs> yeah. Hey, for the record, and I want to set this straight, and this is true. When you're doing those foreign military sales type deals, your job isn't really to do all the technical, you know, right. It's to establish relationships. That's what we did. We established relationships. We went over, we hung out, we talked to these generals or, you know, flat, foreign flight crew, and we... We gave them as much as they were willing to take. And Melon, you can talk about that later because I'm sure you're 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 well read on well read in on that. But anyway, so getting back to Smitty. So he totally kind of joined the we kind of had like a little, I would say for the most part, our shop was pretty tight. Yeah, it was not clickish, but you know, there's people that hung out with other people. But thanks to General Muth, um, every Thursday, well sh shit. Like I feel like every every night. There was something going on at our at our lounge on the camp, and uh, you know you would see the same faces over and over again. Like you know you had B Swole, Smitty, me. Uh, I mean, there's just the list goes on and on. Old Frank Winnot, and uh, yeah, we started. We took a couple trips. So were you in the Baran trip with us? Like you went a couple places. Yeah, you, we went to. We just, uh, I can't remember all the places. I know we went to UAE. Yeah, yeah. Um, we went to Petra. Right. With the angry Joe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's some stories we're not going to tell on here, but it was just, it was a dumpster fire. It was a really good time. Um, so, yeah, we just became fast bros. And the the running joke of all this is that, you know, because Smitty, like, I, you guys, well, Smitty didn't actually go to your compound, Melon, until I left. And Smitty was like, yeah. dude, why, why are you trying to keep me from Melon? I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, how come you've never invited me? And the truth is, I have invited, I think the, the one time I did it, so schedules didn't work out. You might have been going somewhere. And I said, and then I just replied with, I didn't think it was your thing, you know, because I thought you were going to be going through your drinking rations versus hanging out in Annie and Michael McFadden's room, looking at Aussie, you know, posters of Australian shepherd puppies and stars. But, <laughs> but yeah, man, you found out just like I did. It's an oasis away from home, you know, like it was really, and I really mean this, like it was to this day, it's one of the most special moments in my life because I was in a place where I didn't it's not that I didn't want to be there but I was away from home and just to be with the McFadden's like just gave me a semblance of like peace like it was real peace you know and and they immediately just made you feel at home you know and uh Very yeah fun, man yeah so, so anyways so that's, yeah the great part about it too was uh, like you said with the peace is it was it was back to normal life 
getting out of Escon, getting over to Mellon's compound, it was night and day. Yeah. The people you met, the people you hung out with. I mean, I, if I if I had the choice, I'd rather live, lived on Mellon's compound <laughs> and just commuted to Escon. <laughs> yeah. Well, it goes along with well, the saying when, you know, you could be in some of the best places in the world with the worst people and you have a terrible time and you be in the worst places with the best people and you have the best time, right? Mel- Melon's one of those multipliers. Raph, not so much. I'd be pretty miserable. But, uh, you know, there'd be like gang bangers and all kinds of stuff in Raph's compound <laughs> and Cholo sales outside and, you know, one button up top. Hey, man, what's going on? You want to come over? You know, Melon's more welcoming with food and, and drink, so... I could see that. Well, it was it was honestly it was a it was a, a great couple of years when we had you guys coming out pretty much every weekend, and I mean we sort of transitioned uh, when Tio rolled off back to the mainland, and then Smitty just started coming out. I mean we we were out we had ourselves out there. We had a New Year's Eve out there one night. Yep. Yep. Cards Against Humanity and too many <laughs> too many refreshments. I mean just some great freaking memories, you know. And I remember, uh, you know, you and I, well, you, you came up with your plan on how you're going to uh, move forward with your then girlfriend, you know? And I mean, just some really good special conversations that we shared, you know, like good times. Speaking of. <laughs> so, so, Smitty, could you tell us a little bit about your backstory? Like, you know, where you're from, where you grew up? And uh, so, like, what you just were as a young man, just so people can get a bit of an idea of your backstory. Yeah, so I uh, grew up in a small town in Virginia, southwest Virginia. Um, Went to high school, graduated. Uh, As soon as I graduated, I was 18. I went to college, um, community college, for a police science degree because I always wanted to be a police officer. Um, And then when I graduated, I was only 20. I was still too young to be a police officer. But I was a volunteer fireman the whole time I was in college. And my fire chief also worked at a paid department and he got me on over there. So I went, became a paid firefighter, loved it. I mean, I worked 11 days a month full time. I mean, back then I was still a small town. I was still living at home. Um, So like making decent money for a 21 year old kid living at home with a full time job, only working 11 days a month. Um. Did that, uh, and how I got into the Army aviation, one night I was watching Discovery Channel. I'm sorry, guys, the dogs. I was watching the, the Discovery Channel with my captain, um, and it was about the Apache helicopter. And told him, I was like, you know, I always wanted to fly one of those. And I d- dabbled in fixed wing uh, Cessnas and stuff back then also. Um, so didn't think anything of it. Went to bed, got up the next morning. We had a few calls that was not that night and uh, was getting ready to head home at 6.30. And he asked, what uh, What are you doing today? Like, well, I'm going, going to get home, going to bed. He's like, well, someone wants to meet you. I was like, uh-oh, what did I do? Um, he's like, the colonel of the base wants to meet you. Because it was at an army base that we were, where we were contracted firefighters. Takes me up to the headquarters. Didn't tell me what it's about. The colonel pulls me in. Um, and big shout out to this guy, uh, Lieutenant Colonel retired Brian Butler. He owns his own company down in Tampa, Florida. Um, so he's an extremely successful veteran. Um, but he sets me down and he starts it off with, I hear you want to fly. 
And this guy was a chemical officer. Didn't know Army aviation at all. It's like, yeah, you know, I've, it's been an interest of mine. And he told me about the warrant officer program. Didn't know anything about it. So he sends me to a recruiter down in, in downtown the city where we were at and um, gives me his card with his private number written on the back and says, if they give you any trouble, give them this. Okay. So I go to a recruiter, um, sit down and I get the normal spiel, which I'm sure Raf's probably heard, but I know Raf, you were prior enlisted also um, of you have to be enlisted first. You can't go in as a warrant officer. You have to be, <laughs> before you can be a pilot and i'm i was told that's not true and this e6 is arguing with me about it and i just hand him the card of this colonel and he calls him and it was hilarious conversation of yes sir yes sir yes sir understand sir yes sir hangs up and just says all right let's get your packet started wow. <laughs> that was uh february of 02 and I left May 8th of 02 for basic training. Wow, man. So did uh, basic training in Fort Sill, Oklahoma. Um, left Fort Sill, went to Fort Rucker for uh, warrant officer candidate school, flight school. Did that. Um, and, you know, back then I was 20 at the time, 22, 23 years old. I was like, you know, I'm young. This is the first time I've been away from home. I want to go to Korea. You know, I just kind of want to get this out of the way. Back then for Apache pilots, they all went to Korea. That was just, that's where they sent them. So I volunteered to go to Korea. Um, got one six CAV. Uh, they were alpha model unit. I was Delta's. So they said, you're going to go to Fort Hood, Texas. You're going to go through a unit training and fielding program. And then you're going to deploy with your aircraft back to Korea. Okay, cool. Sounds great. I'll get to see Texas. Go to Texas, go through the program. Congratulations, you guys, you know, graduated. Uh, you refly 4-4 aviation, you're going to Iraq. So they, they disbanded 1-6 CAV, turned us into 4-4 aviation, and sent us to Taji, Iraq. And that was uh, one of six deployments that I did to the Middle East. Um, did several, did three to Iraq, three to Afghanistan. Um, in the middle of that, became a test pilot. I, I will correct Raf. Uh, Thanks for the shout out for the unicorn, but I actually never was in a maintenance examiner. Um, I was just a that's low level right. pilot. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So, but they were, but they were trying to make you an ME, right? Like they were trying yeah. to DS. Was, yeah. Anyways, I remember that, but there was a lot of talk about Program you being at the time an ME. was not great. <laughs> right. right. So, I'm, not, I'm not really surprised because Raf never really shows up to work. So he don't really know <laughs> who's who and what's going on. He just shows up, fixes his hair, wants to be your buddy, make everybody laugh. And then he leaves. So they're like, Oh yeah. Hey, Raf showed up to work today, but he didn't do anything. See, that's the warrant way. That's why they won't bring me in. That's why. They won't... Anyway. Go ahead, Smitty. Frank will change too much stuff in the wolf pack. <laughs> he's he's not wrong. He's just jealous. But all accurate though, Mike. All accurate. <laughs> um, yeah, did all that. Um, so I, I was a test pilot, which <laughs> the way that happened was not it's not the route I wanted to go. My background was always uh with being a firefighter, EMT, hazmat tech, was safety. So I wanted to go the safety route. Um, but back then, the height of the uh, the height of the war, um, I was ordered by a full bird colonel to go to the test pilot course. I'm like, I don't want to go to the test pilot course. 
tough shit, needs of the army. So there were four of us, two Apache guys and two Blackhawk guys that were forced to go be test pilots. Um, the two Blackhawk guys thought they would get one over on them. And um, when they went to the school, they show up, they had to do a five and nine test. They wrote their name on it and handed it in. Didn't even fill it out. So they got kicked out of the course. Needless, needless to say, their careers did not uh, go the best route after that. But, you know, I, I was forced into this. I'm not going to fail at it. So I just sucked it up and finished it and became a test pilot and did it to the best that I could do. Um, and that was 2008, I think, May of 08. Did it for, what, 14 years, I think. And then finally retired uh, last June. Um, go ahead, Mellon. Yeah, Smitty. Great uh, backstory, man, of a young guy having looking at like police and then fire and then finding himself in the cockpit of a, an Apache in a combat zone, right? When was your first combat deployment and when was your last one? First one was uh, December 05 to December 06 to Taji, Iraq. My last one was October of 14 to, or no, I'm sorry, October of 15 to May of 16 um, in uh, Bagram, Afghanistan. Yeah. And that's a, no, no joke. Thank you for what you've done. Six, six tours in 10, just over 10 years, Rollo. That's an extraordinary amount of um, service and combat and chaos and all the rest of it, the waiting around as well and the boring parts, you know, like hats off to you, man. That's a lot of work. Thank you. Smitty, maybe for some of our uh, non-military listeners or whatever, uh, I'm sure everybody's heard of the Apache helicopter, but can you just like, you know, just a real quick rundown of exactly its 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 role and, you know, you guys are basically, you know, rat Blackhawk pilots get jealous. I've noticed this. Like Braff already gave the thumbs down, and you know it's just it, I don't understand it because I'm not in their community, but it's just like, dude, the Apache's pretty badass uh, to to me. But you know, as a ground guy, but can you just describe like what do you guys carry? What your main role is, and like what you're capable of? Like it's a massive responsibility to be able to fly an Apache, and so much oversight and all the crap to it in order to fire that damn thing. But can you just give our listeners maybe a quick rundown? Yeah, so, I mean, I, I'm not going to lie, and I am a little, uh, I guess, uh, one-sided on the topic that it is the best helicopter in the inventory um, <laughs> for its role. So I'll give Raph that, uh, Raph that. So each helicopter has a different role. Um, but the Apache, when it does fly, because it's, uh, it's broken a lot, because um, it's an electronic nightmare, um, is essentially an Air Force. If there's any Air Force listeners, they're going to hate me saying this, and they're going to argue, but it's close air support. That that's the role. Um, in the war on terror, it's it's all about it was back then all about close air support. Um, the guys on the ground. That's that's who we work for. Um, that's who we support and that's who we protected. Uh, most of the time, we carry anywhere between uh, three hundred and twelve hundred rounds of thirty millimeter. Which uh, for the listeners, a thirty millimeter round. Um, I actually have one downstairs. <laughs> uh, um, it's essentially a grenade. It's got a uh, frag radius of four meters. So it's essentially a great a grenade going down range. Um, and then we carry 2.75 inch hydro rockets and then the Hellfire missile. 
which has been upgraded throughout the years as well as the rockets. Uh, now the a lot of the rockets have become laser guided, uh, so it just makes them a lot easier to fire. Um, but yeah, we just uh, back then we would take off on a mission and fly. Eight hours would be a normal day of eight hours in the air, uh, going to the bathroom and Gatorade bottles in the cockpit, um, and just flying circles over uh, over a mission over a set of ground dudes. Um, waiting in a stack with, uh, you know, could have five different fixed wing aircraft above us, uh, all operating on this with one controller. There's a, uh, as a ground guy, every time that we'd insert, we'd have the Apaches with us, which is a AWT attack weapons team. And, uh, they'd come in and be flying around usually for about 30 to 45 minutes prior. And then they'd go, you know, bingo on fuel and have to try, you know, return to base to refuel for when we go to extract. But, there was no better feeling of like flying into a village and having AWT flying circles around us just as a show of force because of how much firepower and it would literally just like everybody would cower and hide and we could have kind of free roam as long as they were in the air. Usually if anything happens, it's usually as soon as those guys fly away and they know what they're doing because they sit there and watch this for 20 years. But there's no better feeling than having that above you versus Raph up there like, hey, hey I got something to do. I got to run back to base with my, you know. <laughs> So, so something just came up. <laughs> Got to drop the mail off. <laughs> I just give rap shit because he, you know, he's got this God pilot complex and, you know, we just got to hold him accountable. <laughs> so 20 years of armed, uh, effectively helicopter gunship of people. They've got a picture in their mind of a, uh, an attack helicopter that it's a tandem seat. So the, the two crew are sitting one behind the other. Under the chin, there's the uh, 30 mil cannon, and it has the short little wings with all the hard points carrying uh, the Hellfires or rockets and so on. I'm sure everyone can picture it. Famously, it's the same one that uh, Prince Harry flew. He... <laughs> I'm sure everyone can picture him uh, in, in the cockpit. And so that's just an absolutely a key asset, as Smitty was saying, for close air support, that armed uh, airborne gunship putting a lot of firepower down in support of the troops on the ground. And so you will flying that thing for pretty much 20 years, Smitty, is that right? Yeah, came in uh, in 02, um, went to flight school and flew the Bell 206 for flight school um, and then went straight into that. And then went from yeah, the right. Delta model to the Echo model, which is what they got out now. Yeah, right. And... I'm sure there's lots of stuff that we probably couldn't talk about here. Are there any uh, are there any anecdotes or stories of your time flying the Apache that you could share? Given that our, our community, our listeners are predominantly veterans and first responders, so they're going to have a certain ability to to listen in. And obviously, you're not talking about anything out of school, but are there any anecdotes that you could share about missions you're on or or funny stories? Um, <laughs> really. It's... In uh, definitely in uh, JBAT Iraq or JBAT Iraq, JBAT Afghanistan. Um, sorry, I pulled a raff on that one. Um, <laughs> uh, we were uh, essentially on call uh, for a lot of these. So they they went from just launch like early years in Iraq. They would we would automatically launch and fly for like an eight hour window. Um, and just we would uh, it was called Cap Safe Skies in Baghdad. So we would essentially, whenever a heavy aircraft would come into Baghdad Airport, we would 
set up in orbits on each side of the runway on its approach path and protect it while it landed. Um, and that was the mission mainly in Iraq, along with working with ground guys uh, when we get called off of that. But once we got to Afghanistan, it just went to essentially an on-call. So you go out pre-flight and then um, get your helicopter ready. And then you would just sit around with the radio and just wait for a call. Um, and that the year in JBAD that I was there, it was busy. <laughs> you would, uh, we always found ourselves running to the aircraft and, you know, sitting in a chow hall, the radio would go off and well, there, there goes your meal. You, you don't have time. So you just, you would sprint a quarter mile to the aircraft, try to get all your flight gear on and take off. Um, one story I will tell, it was, it was in JBAD that this happened. Um, we were flying up uh, the Kunar, escorting uh, Jehun, the uh, Afghanistan Air Force helicopters. We're doing a, an air assault up uh, extremely north, Barj um, Matal area, which is in the very northern of the Kunar Valley. Um, and what they wanted us to do was... They always wanted us to shoot, but we can't always shoot unless we're getting shot at. Um, so they would always falsely call in that they're getting shot at. So what they wanted us to do was they wanted us to fly in first, then them two behind us, and then my wingman behind them. And we would put peel off so they would go in and land. Well, we did that. And I had a uh, female lieutenant in my front seat, not my wife, <laughs> uh, another one. And uh, we're flying in, we're getting pretty low, and you see an ISIS flag. There's an ISIS flag. Well, then all of a sudden you hear what sounds like someone threw rocks at a window, which it's a, everyone knows is gunfire hitting the aircraft. Well, yeah, we just took some rounds. She surprisingly was a lot calmer than I thought she'd be about it. Um, climbed up, all the systems were good, um, didn't see where they impacted. Flew back, did a really extensive post flight. Didn't find a single bullet hole. Like that's weird. Maybe maybe we got lucky, but I, I know they hit something. Um, but couldn't find a bullet hole. So we went back on call. Got another call for a uh, a soft team just south of JBAD uh, troops in contact. So we take off, go help them, come back, land. Now we're at the end of our shift. Um, so I go to the back, uh, compartment to get my helmet bag out to put all my gear away and it's shredded. It looked like someone took a knife to it. And I immediately thought the crew chief was playing a joke on me. <laughs> so I, I get pissed. Um, and then I, I found the bullet hole in my bag. So then I looked and the, where the bullet hit a, uh, like a small little handle that, uh, is on a hinge in this compartment had flopped over top of the bullet hole and covered it. So that's why I never found it when I did the post flight the first time. Well, then I started tracing the bullet hole. Um, and it went straight up the tail of my aircraft. Um, so then I climb up on top of the aircraft. I find the exit hole. And then I climb in the turtle back and I look at my drive shaft and I found the entrance hole, which is a small AK round entrance hole on the drive shaft. Well, that drive shaft spins at thousands of RPMs. Well, I rotated the drive shaft, and the hole on the back end was big enough to put your fist through. 
how the drive shaft did not come apart on the long flight down the Kunar and then on the troops in contact afterwards. Um, it was humbling. Uh, the, the lieutenant did not talk to me for a while after that. She, it definitely, it affected her. Um, and it affected me. Like you, I just literally stopped and just stood, uh, stood there and just, you know, thought, thank God, <laughs> thank God that drive shaft did not come apart because I mean, we were putting the aircraft in, we were maneuvering the aircraft, uh, you know, all within the limits, which you have to say, um, but extremely <laughs> hard to where there's a lot of torque on that drive shaft. And for the amount of metal that was missing from it, <laughs> we were extremely lucky. And that was definitely a humbling experience. Yeah, that's the first thing I thought as soon as you said that. I was like, you know, when you're unloading and loading that drive shaft, that's when I think it would snap, right? Because if it's a steady state, you know, there's only so much force on it. But once you lower your thrust or your collective and then pick it up back up again, that that would literally cause it to shear off. That's that's fucking amazing. Yeah. That is amazing. Um, it's right. It's right. Let's say I helped my post-flight game after that. <laughs> Man. No jokes for you. It's crazy that you got back. And it's even more insane you then went and flew a combat mission in that state, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Obviously, a lot of luck, but also great design. Freaking hats off to the engineers who put these things together. Absolutely. And I'm sure it was going through the full envelope when you're in a, in a combat mission. You, you know, full full left and right of arc, up and down angle of attack, the whole thing, right? Absolutely. I think it's always, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't call it coincidence. I think maybe this is just how maybe life goes sometimes. Is We've all shared our stories on this podcast already about military service and close calls. And, man, like, wow, wow man, that happened. And in the moment, it's kind of like whatever. But then man does it change how you start looking at things you know with your life and what you're doing that it's not all hollywood and like oh man this is cool and the outside looks at you like you're untouchable and it's like man this guy's this awesome pilot or whatever he does and his life must be so perfect you know and have no worries and he's got his life together and has no worries and it's just like man and then it's always funny when god just is like this is where i'm gonna you know jump on in and then humble your ass a little bit and slow you down and make you think and start looking at things completely different. And, you know, before I was going to ask like, Oh man, Hey, great, great intro Smitty, very successful 20 year career, your warrant, lots of deployments, lots of good stuff, man. But then you started leading into it and I was like, ah, oh, he's already going to talk about it, man. Here comes this humble moment where uh, we all realize that we're just humans you know, at the end of the day that, man, it, it could all go away just in it, you know, <laughs> the pull of the stick or a drive shaft or a bullet coming out of nowhere. You know what I mean? It, it all changed that quick. So, uh, it's nice to hear that side of it instead of, you know, I'm a cool chopper jock, you know, like Raph usually portrays on his, you know, telling stories in Spanish on his go-kart at the airport to strangers, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> But it's good to hear, man. I appreciate you sharing that. <laughs> Thank you. So, Brian, did that that must have had um, an impact on you? you? Said obviously it changed the way you did your post flight walk around and and whatnot, and it impacted 
you said it impacted you and it impacted the female lieutenant who was flying with you. Did is that something that that you did find hard to deal with, or was that something you were just you just processed and moved on because you obviously got a real a huge amount of combat experience and you're a well experienced pilot. Is that something you're able to process, or is that something that did stay with you? So I mean, it's definitely one of the moments that I remembered throughout all my combat trips. But I did. I just um, you know when you're over there, you you kind of have to process it really fast because I mean there's going to be another mission right behind it that you got to do. Um, mm. But I I too like I mean I'm a Christian. I do believe in God, and like I <laughs> I took that as a sign. Um, that life is too short. Um, you, you just don't know when your, your time's up, um, but there's nothing you can do about it. So just process it and all right, on to the next mission. Yeah. 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 There's a lot in that, right? About like just extracting the, the beauty in the day because you only have the day and we never know. And then, if you, if you have a habit of and a life of doing those things, your life becomes really great anyway. You know, like you, you, you invest in your relationships and you, and you appreciate those moments. And if you have a habit of doing that, then you, you call it the, the life you're living changes as well. You know, so there can be some like silver linings that can come out of this stuff. So after 20 years of service flying Apache helicopters in you know, six full combat tours. You then decide that Smitty's going to change tack and you're going to have a look at a, a post-military career. And, you know, let us know what your thoughts were and how you prepared yourself to move into the next chapter and what that next chapter is. Um, so I knew I wanted to keep flying because that's one thing I, I do love is I just, I love flying. Um and I'm sure Raph can attest that. I know Mel and Kane just, even on your worst day, you're, you're still in, in control of an aircraft that's not meant to fly, um, especially in helicopters. Um, and you're making it fly. And it's just, it's peaceful. No matter what's going mm -hmm. on, no matter how many people are on the radio, it's it's peaceful being up there. Um, so I had a couple of jobs that I was looking at. Um, one was a contracting job overseas. Um, several uh, air ambulance jobs um, with different companies. And then I have a buddy, his name's Brian also. Um, and I met him when I first got to Fort Hood, Texas back in 04. And we just became best friends. And he's honestly kind of just like me, a little older, but uh, always loved flying. So he'd done uh, National Guard, active duty, um, he's currently in the National Guard and was flying for the same company I work for now, but he moved on to a cargo uh, fixed wing aircraft. So he, out of the blue, hit me up one day and goes, hey, uh, there's a job opening at my company. I think you should put in for it. I said, what company? <laughs> like, who are you working for now? And it was a survival flight air ambulance uh, based out of Arkansas. And I'm like, I've never heard of them. Everyone's heard of the big air methods, air vac, mm -hmm. metro. Um, so he he kind of pestered me about it. And I'm like, well, we'll see. You know, I don't know if that's what I want to do. And finally, he uh, he sent me his the director of operations number and says, call him right now. 
he's expecting your call. I'm like, dude, <laughs> I mean, I've still got like, you know, three or four months left in the army. I can't just start a new job right now. So I was like, you know what? Screw it. So I, I took the leap. I did it. I made the call. This dude was just so down to earth. I mean, he's an army, current army officer in the guard um, and he's director of operations for this company and did an interview right there. And he's like, dude, you're hired. Um, if you want the job, I'm like, uh, thanks. Okay. I guess I was like, you know what? Screw it. I don't have anything else like solid. So why not? I'll give it a shot. And it's uh, one of the only companies that allows you to do 14 days on 14 days off. Everyone else is seven and seven. And the way my buddy explained it is like, all right, great. You got a week off, but you can't take a week's vacation with your family unless you have to take more time off from work with a, with two weeks on two weeks off, you can go overseas for a week or longer and still have time to come back. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. One of the few things he's ever said that made sense. Uh, I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. So I, I started it and I absolutely love it. I sat around at a base. Um, our aircraft's hangered at the airport uh, in Southeast Missouri. I drive down there. I work uh, 12, 14 days on, 12 hour shifts, and then come home. I'm, I'm on vacation for two weeks here. And, and so, just so people can understand, air ambulance helicopters. You know, I've got, I'm sure I've got a, an imaginary uh, image of what you do at work. Can you describe like sort of what a typical day is and, and what, what that role is that you do now, Smitty? Yeah, so uh, so I just got off days. I'm getting ready to go back on nights. Um, and our shifts are usually about 6.45 to 6.45. Um, so I'll show up at 6.45, do the uh, handover with the guy that I work opposite of and um, do all my paperwork go to that hangar, pre-flight the aircraft, um, come back, and I wait with an iPhone in this little office. Um, you know, I'll, I'll study the, the the Bell 407 flight manual sometimes, not all the time, um, and just, just sit there with a medic and a nurse. Um, they've got their own little living area and wait for the phone to ring. And it could either be a scene flight where you're landing at a cotton gin uh, a flight where you're landing on a road for a wreck or a hospital to hospital transfer where you'll go to a hospital in this area, pick a, pick a patient up and fly them to a larger hospital. So and, uh, quick question for you, Smitty. I don't mind me jumping in there. Before. You pretty much were offered a quick transition from military to, you know, this new job and flown right over, not really a gap. Right. Correct. Have you ever taken some time and think about what if there was a gap? What would have I have done? Would I be any different? And maybe would you question your purpose slash significance at that point after 20 years of doing what you did? So a lot of people have asked me, you know, with leaving the military, do you miss it? Do you miss it? I do miss some of it. Uh, I miss the camaraderie is the biggest saying, the, the friendships that you make and you build. Um, but the a great friend of mine who Raf and Mel and all know is retired, uh, retired general. 
uh, kind of said this one time when we were hanging out. It's like, um, you know, there's the path that the army's on is not the path for me. And I, it's like, man, I've never, I guess I've always thought that, but I've, it really sunk in and he was right. Um, you know, the, the, the route that the army is going, it just, uh, I wasn't having fun anymore. Um, it, it, this is something I won't say a lot is it was becoming too much like work. Um, you know, we're getting a paycheck for it, but again, if flying is your passion, it's your, it, you know, it's your love. It's, it's not like work. You, you, you enjoy it. And it, the last couple of years, it was just, I was getting stressed out. Um, my wife actually was probably the main reason I'm retired because I asked her, I was like, you know, I could stay in. I don't have to get out. And she's like, absolutely not. You're miserable. You need to retire. So I'm like, yes, ma'am. <laughs> absolutely. And, and, but, and I never looked back when, when my wife told me that I was like, cause if, if I'm miserable, she's miserable. Yeah. So, and I didn't want to put her through that anymore. So like you know what you're right and now you know transition to you know left the job which for the last few years is pretty much nine to five I'm at the level that I was at Monday through Friday and now I'm working you know 14 12 hour days in a row um with you know 10 to 12 hours off for sleep and and that's it um but there's no stress like all of the the stress is left. And I did think about taking a break. So like, I retired May 31st and I started one June at this company. Um, so it was summertime. Uh, we were in the, in the midst of moving from uh, Fort Campbell to Fort Leavenworth. So my wife could go to school. And uh, I kind of thought about a break, but <laughs> for Melon and Raph uh, that know our lifestyle, <laughs> That wasn't an option. Uh, we needed money, <laughs> and it's not—it's not like we have bills or anything like that. It's nothing that that bad. It's more of the we like to live life. We like to travel. Um, we like to eat at nice dinners on a whim. We just like to have fun, and we like to have fun with our friends. And so, I looked at it as, yeah, I could work—you know—go to work for two weeks, but then I'm going to have two weeks off. So it's pretty much like I got a two week vacation every, every month. Um, and go ahead, Raph. I just, sorry, you can finish your thought, but I was going to say, if, um, you know, now that you've wrapped up the 20 year career and you're looking back, would you, what advice would you give yourself starting this journey? Like what, what are the things that you learned along the way that, you know, you, you clearly learned going through them, not reading a book or not being told by anybody, but is there anything like you would look back and be like, Hey, young man, before you come down this road, uh, you know. <laughs> Speaking of young man, there he is. Uh, Sorry, he just uh, like did a uh, jump right behind yeah. you. Uh, um, <laughs> procrastination. Yeah, this is Soren, by the way, Smitty. Yeah. Uh, you never met him because he wasn't in in the oven yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Say hi. He's gotten big. Yeah, he's four. He turned four in November. I think uh, the podcast that I'm on, he's only two. <laughs> <laughs> I only look at thirty. Um, yeah, procrastination. Uh, I am probably the world's worst at 
putting off tomorrow what I could do today. Um, and I'm trying to get better. And honestly, your podcast has kind of really made me look back at all the, the stuff that I've put off that I should have done that has made it a lot harder uh, when you wait to the last minute to do it. Um, another thing is uh, I, I wish that I would have uh, kind of been in church a lot more. Um, back when I was younger. Um, and honestly, I'll tell you the reason I didn't, and this is maybe a selfish reason or not, but in Fort Hood, uh, I don't know if any of you have ever been to Fort Hood, um, but in that area, it's, it's things known as mega churches. And when you have to, when you go to a church to, you know, check it out, see if you like it, um, and they ask you for your LES, your pay stub, so they can tell you how much you're going to be uh, donating to them. And the preacher's driving a Bentley. Uh, that's not the church for me. Yeah. But unfortunately, those churches exist. And I'm more of a small town, you know, white church, wooden pews. Th those churches have kind of gone away. They're just being overrun. But I, I do wish that I would have gotten in the church a lot more when I was younger. Um, I think that would have definitely helped me out. And my wife's actually pulled me back into church when we were at Fort Campbell. We started going every Sunday to another small church. We haven't found one here yet, but yeah, definitely uh, the procrastination and, and get back, get your butt back in the church and, uh, and give thanks. I think that's, that's tough to talk about, man. And for some of the listeners are probably like, Oh man, here we go. It's like, no, we don't talk about that. And it's just like, why, why would you say that? It's because you're uncomfortable or that you're not prepared to deal with something and you don't know how to speak about it. Right. And I speak that from experience, you know, I've been going to church now for, uh, I don't know, a month and a half, two months straight and really committing to it and making it part of my, my routine. But there's so much guidance there on life that like, I just have no idea about, or that I still struggle with or think about. And, you know, military aside, it's like, man, you know, you three guys are all retired. I got, almost four years left coming up here at the end of the month. And, uh, you know, I sit here and listen to you guys and you guys are a lot of my guidance, but at the same time, it's like, man, I still need to push myself and grow in other areas that maybe I don't get from you. So, and that's okay, but I need to be active and proactive and, and seeking out the next step, you know, every, life changes. I think all the time, like Smitty, you said it great. Your army's going in a direction that I don't think I'm a part of, or it's not appealing to me anymore. So I need to change my life. I need to make some new decisions. And, you know, there were things that led you down that way. And it's just like, for me, if I am going to do something, I don't want to just jump into it head first, not knowing a damn thing, you know, being in a dark cave with no flashlight. I want to go in with every tool that I think I need. And then I want to talk to the people that have been in the cave already and are coming out saying, Hey, also bring this this and this because you know you're going to be tested in, in there or something you know and like that's such a better promising path rewarding path makes me feel good makes me want to wake up in the morning and pick people's brains more find that experience find that guidance and it's become like a passion of mine you know that's that's what i get out of this podcast at least so i love that you said that man it's so important and i think Everybody will eventually hit that point in their life where they're like, man, I, my spiritual side maybe should have been better. You know, some people realize it at 18, 35, 
uh, 92 when it's too late. But I think we all kind of arrived there at different times. And it's, it's important to talk about. That's my point. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah, I think um, with this, just talking about what you said, Brian, I think my biggest fear kind of with my spiritual side, at least, you know, trying to like have more of God's presence in my life. I think I had the fear. It sounds like, and I could be wrong, but I, what I'm picking up from you is similar to mine was, I think I had the fear when I was younger of uh, some, some like raising my own expectations. And I knew that if I went to church, if I actually sought, sought this other lifestyle, then I, it kind of didn't give me much room to be a complete dirtbag. And I kind of enjoyed being a dirtbag in my 20s, um, which is, again, as a father at 45, it's not my proudest moment. But I feel like somehow I had to go through that path to, to really appreciate, you know, the purity of that my sons brought me and like the purity that my marriages brought me and just the, you know, I don't know, man, it's just it's been one of those things. But but I do caution people to not let that stop you because you think you're missing out, right? Like you think, well, you know, I, I kind of want to go to the bars and I kind of want to go just, just get crazy with my friends and stuff. But it doesn't mean that if you don't, like if you just block God out of your life, you can still do that. But it's just, you're running the risk of just going down a rabbit hole that you may never come out of, right? Like you start running with the wrong people, you start kind of, you know, not really having a constitution. It's like they say, if you don't have anything to stand up for, then you'll fall for anything, right? If you don't really have a real strong constitution, um, you could be a sucker to any fucking snake oil salesman that's around the corner. Um, so anyways, but it sounds like you, your struggle was kind of similar to mine. And then finally, it sounds like it's always a strong woman that ends up pulling because Aubrey was the same thing to me, honestly, like our running joke and our not running joke, but we talk about it, how you know, when we first met, I wasn't necessarily a believer. And she basically took a leap of faith uh, in me that I would eventually come around. And I talked on the show on some significant events that helped me come around. But I mean, again, just like you, I mean, for me, it was a damn near 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 death experience, um, a couple actually, where I was like, okay, life is short. I'm playing with fire. And if today was my day, I know sure as hell, I'm not going to heaven. Like I, I knew that for a fact, like there was no, well, there's a possibility. Uh, -uh. there was no, like my, my chair had been thrown out the window and it was like, you're not coming here, dude. you know, like, <laughs> so it was a stark realization. So I just tell people like, I just, you know, you know, spirituality is, a, is an individual thing. And I think you need to find it, but it, it definitely helps to be in a group of like-minded individuals to kind of strengthen each other. Cause it's a tough road, man. You know, we're human. We're, we're fallible. We're always wanting to do stupid shit. And sometimes a quick meditative prayer or whatever might not be enough. It might be Smitty talking about something and being like, you know what? I'm not going to be a jerk today. I'm actually going to try to do the right thing. Cause my boy out in Kansas is doing, is trying to fight the good fight. Like it just, the strength in numbers. There's like something re like really to that. And that's why church is kind of important, especially finding the right one. Yeah. And also with what you said about like, and you guys talk about it a lot on I've heard it several times on your podcast, like the, the people you surround yourself with. Um, and I mean, I gotta, I gotta tell you, and I, I think I've told Mel on this before, but really it's, it's Tim and Cherry. The reason, the main reason I'm married right now. Um, I saw Kayla and Cherry and Cherry and Kayla, um, and their relationship. I was, it was, you know, I'm like, I knew that I had Kayla in my life and I was thankful for it. Um, and I, I saw how great their relationship, uh, 
Melon and Cherry's relationship is. Like, you know, they're married, two beautiful kids, and they still go out and have fun. And just because you're married doesn't mean that that, yeah. that you, you're stuck at home. And you and I, I think that, you know, for me, you know, always being a little immature was – that was just how I thought it. And I, it's like, I, you know, I need to grow up. And I was with Melon um, in Saudi when I told him, I was like, I'm getting married. I'm going to ask her to marry me. Never told her that. We didn't go ring shopping. We didn't do any of that. We never discussed it um, until we landed in Australia on New Year's Eve. <laughs> <laughs> Massive. Uh, yeah. Thanks for the, thanks for the props, mate. I think you guys have a, I think you guys have an amazing relationship. You know, I think you, it's funny because at the end of the day, the lucky ones, you know, we find the one who's perfect for us, you know, and it's like the person we are and the person we could be, helps them and the person that they are helps us achieve a better to to become a better person, you know. I well, mean I remember you sitting at our house sitting at our house on the calls with Kayla in Saudi and, you know, just working through all that, you know, before deciding that she was the one. And, you know, I was just so happy for you guys to be a part of being there when you proposed. It was beautiful. You did it you did it at Sydney, right next to the uh the bridge, right when the fireworks were going off on New Year's Eve it was it was class, man. It was a great Thank night. But it's it's great to have someone in your life that calls you on your shit, that doesn't let you get away with, you know, acting like a fool and, and doing stupid stuff. And it, it really it makes you take a deep breath and and you know, you said it on one on one of your episodes, man, like uh like what is it, setting in a hall full of mir- uh, mirrors, just uh yeah. examining yourself. Um, and, and like, Hey, you know, you are, you're drinking too much or you need to cut back on the drinking or whatever it is in, in, in your life. But, um, you know, Hey, you're getting lazy. Get your ass to the gym. Absolutely. You, you know, stuff like that. Um, but it takes, uh, <laughs> it takes a strong woman, uh, to do that. Cause not, believe me, I've, I've, I've dated women that would just let me do whatever I wanted to do. And it, it's just. There's no relationship there. Yeah. It's it's different when you're with someone who is challenging you and what you said, they're willing to call you on your shit. Like yeah. that's a level of that's a level of love and strength that's very hard to find. And I would suggest that, you know, the three of us who are married here, that's why we married these women. Like there was something about these these people, they had that combination of love but strength where they were not gonna put up with whatever. <laughs> They, they they wanted us to be better and they could see it they could maybe see potential where we maybe weren't exhibiting too much potential but then also you know in a like like way you know like we challenge them and you grow together right like that's that's the best marriage right like it's never a sweet romantic novel story there's there's rough patches there's ups and downs and it's when you're able to work through those things together and it Man, it takes it really takes something from each of you. They're the ones that are worth holding on to. Absolutely. I like that, you know, we're talking about keeping circle of friends and who's gonna be there to like help you build and realize that there is more to life. You know, in this case, there is more to life than just the military and all that stuff. And you know, if I'm being honest too, it's just like I look at you guys and I see it's the little things. You guys do your hair. You still look clean. 
Uh, you, you dress nice occasionally. You're in shape. You know, like you guys still go to the gym. You talk about all that stuff. And then it's just like, you know, I actively look around and I take notice of, of other veterans. And, you know, and, and I'm not sitting here knocking people's lifestyle because, hey, if that's how you want to live, then then that's your choice and you earned it. You served and like do what you want with your life. And if you're happy, you're happy. But, you know, for myself is like I want to keep increasing my stock and, and bettering myself and, and really pushing the limits on life. And when I look at a lot of veterans, man, it's like as soon as you get out of the military, you know, uh, you grow your beard cause you want to revolt because you had to shave every day. You get your grunt style t-shirt issued to you. You got your long hair. Everybody gets tatted up and then you wear your, your desert combat boots around and your jeans or your shorts to the gym. And you listen to the same shit. You do the same stuff. You talk about drinking and partying and how great the military was. And that's it. There's no progression. You know, they get together and shoot on the weekends and then they're like, Oh man, I don't understand. Like my life sucks. And this and that, it's just like, well, you're conforming to this veteran lifestyle that is what? Is it assumed that like, hey, as soon as I'm out, I'm always just going to be this hard veteran and that's going to be my legacy. And like, oh, man, I was always an infantry guy or this or that or whatever. It's just like, dude, there's so much more to life. Like, why does that your stopping point to just stop at, you know, some of these guys are 25 years old. They do four to six years in the military. They punch out and it's like, oh, man, I was you know, I was, I was in Iraq, you know? So like, yeah, so were 1.3 other million people and you still see some people pushing the boundaries. Like it's a simple question. Where do you, which group do you want to be part of? You know, if, if you want to be mediocre and stay, stay still and, and do your thing, then there's group for that. If there are other people that are going to push you and try to become better in a lot of aspects, uh, they're clearly there too. And me personally, I feel like I'm, I'm in that group. You know, I'm grateful for this group. So um, that's just what I see from my, my personal view a lot every day. Yeah, absolutely. You gotta, you gotta take control of your own life. I mean, just because you left the job and moved to another job or, or didn't you, you, and that's, I think, uh, to answer your question earlier, that's why I didn't want to take a break. Um, I knew that Smitty would go overboard with the break. I would end up just laying on the couch doing nothing, you know, having a bourbon at nine in the morning, watching Top Gun or Top Gun 2, which just went off, by the way, um, wearing my uh, Army retired hat. And, uh, you know, more so, I looked at my wife and how hard she works and how beautiful she is. And she's always, she's up at 4.30 going to the gym before school. Um when we go out, I don't want to look like a fat slob. I don't, I don't want to look like an embarrassment to my wife who's changed my life. You, people need to take control of their own life, get off their couch, put the beer down, go to the gym, you know, and, and just set a goal, which is what we were talking about bringing up, set a small goal and just accomplish that goal. And that could, that could be what changes your life. And Brian, I mean, you're you're onto something, and I think people need to understand if they don't that working out isn't about aesthetics. Like, yes, it comes; it's part of it, especially if you're doing it right, right? If you're doing all the right, especially with uh with nutrition. But fitness is more than just fucking looking good. If you feel at the top of your game, you are going to perform 
at the highest possible level that you can, that your DNA will allow you to do it. And that's why if you're just a fat slob with, you know, with like man boobs or whatever, well, you're going to perform like a guy in a fat suit with man boobs. Like, I mean, again, I'm not, you don't have to look like the rock, but I bet you that the rock wakes up and probably is firing on all cylinders because he's at the top of his physical uh, DNA, you know, uh, potential. And I think every person should, should kind of correlate. Fitness isn't about looks. Fitness is about performing in life. It's about performing everything spiritually, mentally, physically. When you have the strength, when you have that fortitude, also by just lifting heavy shit, it gives you like, uh, you know, like if you, if you deadlift twice your body weight, you know, call it the ego, call it whatever. There's a sense of accomplishment. Like you're just like, holy fuck. I just picked up 350 pounds, you know, like that should be like my joints should come apart, but they didn't. Um, so it's just fitness isn't about fitness. It's not about, you know, wearing leotards and fucking, you know, being an influencer and showing your ass with a Pomeranian puppy. It's literally about feeling the best that you possibly can so that you can be the best husband, so that you can be the best helicopter pilot, so that you can be the best father, so you can be the best friend, you know. Um, that's what fitness is about. People should stop just wrapping that around, you know, fucking six packs and and because it it has nothing to do with that. That's a right. byproduct. One of the things I think that Smitty's really um, encapsulated here is a bit of self-awareness and wisdom that after 20 years in the army, great career and all that sort of stuff, he's aware of, you know, being aware of your own shadow is a really key thing. And he knew that the best thing for Smitty was not to have like a month break or a couple of months, you know, like stay busy, get out there and creating goals in his life around getting that next career underway, that next chapter of his life. And he was saying, talking about the goals don't need to be huge. You know, they don't need to be career size. They can just be, you know, a daily goal, a small thing for the day that you start stacking some wins up and you build some momentum in your life. Um, we're probably at the end of, uh, you know, the amount of time we can hold people for. And it's been, it's been great to get you on here and hear some of your backstory from a young man in Southwest Virginia and, and ambitions of becoming a policeman and then getting yourself into the fire department I don't know how you got yourself on a, into the Apache, but, it, you know, you got that colonel's name and the phone number on the back of it and, and you never looked back. And six combat tours later, you've got yourself a wife, you're now flying air ambulance, you're, you're saving people off the roads, as you said, or you're taking sick people to, to, to uh, surgery and whatnot. So it's just an amazing life you're living and I just want to take my hat off to you and, and what you've accomplished. Is there anything, any final thoughts you wanted to leave the listeners with? Not that I can think of. I mean, we kind of went the whole spectrum on the episode today. So I'm sure as soon as we get off, I'll, something will pop in my head. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is, Smitty has recently started listening to all the, the backstory, the, the uh, Not Your Average Operator, and he's working his way through it. And he just reached out. He and I are good mates, and we talk about stuff all the time. And it's like, you know, he just was like this message that, or the, the topics we talk about has been making a difference in his life. And, um, you know, so we just wanted to get him on. And, you know, I'd like to say that there might be a chance to get him on for a further uh, episode down the track, a bit of a round two, perhaps, you know, we can Absolutely. Uh, draw out some more lessons and uh, some, some, some goals there. But, Brian, you know, thank you for your service. Um, we always appreciated having you in our home, like, 
you came and, and added something to our life. Like you're a really fun guy to be around. Um, you know, we look really look forward to the next time we get together with you. And thank you so much for coming on today. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, man. Okay, so for all the listeners, you know, an amazing story here. And here's a guy who's stacking up some small wins, build some goals, get some momentum going in your life and see what you can do. So we'd love to hear from you guys about uh, anything and anything that you've taken away from this episode. And until next week, you take care.